The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Before we get started, before we get started this episode of Bench with Bubba, a couple things to talk to you about. First, rotoballer.com, proud sponsor of the show. Great products over there, premium products, premium tools, premium Slack chat, articles, a lot of free articles as well. A lot of great stuff over there. You know, I write a lot of DFS content at rotoballer.com for baseball and football. We have a lot of season-long content for baseball coming up even as the season winds on down. So go over to rotoballer.com, join the premium package, use promo code Bubba for 10% off the package of your choice. Also, if you are into fantasy sports, which you obviously are for listening to the show, and you love the strategy of season-long fantasy sports, and you live for the short-term gratification at DFS, then you have to try it out. You have to try out Owner's Box, everybody. It's a weekly fantasy sports game on Owner's Box. WFS, not DFS, WFS, weekly fantasy sports. Head on over to rollerballer.com backslash box and sign up today. Weekly fantasy sports is the best of daily and season-long. It keeps you engaged throughout live drafting and new multi-week games. OwnerBox will be playing out users who bring their friends on board. Watch the real money rewards pile up through their first-ever three-tiered referral system. Add friends, create groups, and rank up to to elevate the trash talk and competition to the next level. So basically... You sign up. You come play at Owner's Box. Use rotoballer.com slash box to sign up. Then you bring your friends in, and you get a little kickback for that. You have your own leagues, weekly leagues. Talk all the trash. Have all the fun. Hey, but that's not it. In honor of the NFL season going forward, Owner's Box will be matching your first-time deposit up to $50 when you head on over to rollerballer.com backslash box and sign up today to claim your rewards and join the new wave of weekly fantasy sports at WFS. For all you lovers of fantasy sports, weekly fantasy sports, owner's box, rotoballer.com backslash box for a $50 deposit bonus. Now to this new episode of Benched with Bubba.
And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bubba and the Backflip, episode 52. Going to recap some players we got right on the 2020 season. So, uh, some of the two early mock drafts. Toby and I are in the same one in League One. And a bunch of listener questions. We've got some good stuff there, as usual. You can find me on Twitter at BDNTrick. And uh, as always, Toby's on Twitter at BatflipCrazy. Toby, how are we doing, man? We're doing all right, Bubba. Um, you know, a little tired. Still, I think I'm still getting over the uh, over the season and trying to adjust sleep schedules and all of that stuff. But um, yeah, it's uh, everything's good. It's 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 fun to get back into it with the two early mocks. It's nice because I feel like you know it's a fun exercise and it's mostly fun. And I'm not like super stressed out about my picks, but I'm very curious as to how the drafts will develop and like looking at some of the stuff that Smada has put together, which is always. Um, it's always fascinating just to see how the different drafts work and um, to get the aggregate ADP, which is obviously more valuable just, than just looking at one draft. So it's been good, though. Things are good. Yep, definitely. I, I, that's what I love about these two early mocks that uh, gives us an idea of kind of where things are wrapping up and maybe where they'll go. Obviously, a lot can change by March, per se. But uh, it's very interesting, and I agree that uh, the, the cumulative ADP that Spada puts together is very, very strong and a very useful tool, at least get the offseason started. So we'll dig into that. I believe our draft is into round five now. That's been my four or five pick. So we are. I saw that. I like we're that. Moving through. I, 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 hey, a little, yes, a little bit of Ellie, a little bit of six a pitcher though. that I liked, I think. Yep. Oh, six though. Okay, so yeah. maybe not a pitcher I like, but a pitcher. Hey, hey. Ah. I think I, I want to start seeing where guys are going to go, so I'm going to take my chances. We'll see. Yeah, for, sure, for sure, for sure, for sure. But uh, we'll get into that here in a bit. But first, you know, we talked about players we got wrong uh, last episode or the one before. Let's talk about a few guys we got right. We'll talk about three each. Obviously, there's some more or less or whatever. But kind of talking back on 2020. Oh, but there's way more. Each uh, obviously, one, each way one more. of us. I think I. I think I hit. I analyzed it, and I think I got 97 percent of of my um, the guys that I liked hit. And there's that three percent I got to scrounge up where I figure out who I missed on. You know, it's mostly Bo Bichette. I think oh, well, that's the yeah. guy. Well, yeah, we're going to talk about Bo Bichette. Don't worry about that. So that that's on Bo- the list. Bo Bichette? Yeah, Bo Bichette. That's the guy I got right. So we're going to talk about him in a minute. But um, let's start with your first guy, who is an awesome guy to definitely get right. Yeah. So my first guy is Teoscar Hernandez. Um, I like Teoscar a lot um, heading in, and I was fortunate to have him on on a number of my teams this year. You know, and and I think there's, I think you know why this is maybe helpful is, is it's not helpful to be like, guess what, I got one right, and like whatever, I'm awesome, because that's true. But the the thing that we're that was a good joke, I thought. Oh, like, <laughs> you're just giving me so cool. Um, I'm sorry, so, I'm reading something. <laughs> uh, that's uh, that's okay. It's okay. Um, so yeah, so with Tay Oscar, I mean, I think what was valuable about him is he there's a dramatic change in in him second half of last year actually, where you saw just across the board, these huge shifts in uh, plate discipline, in um, contact rate, in hard hit rate, in some of the stat cast metrics, the quality of contact metrics as well. And so that was really like, and especially with an ADP around like, I think like 280, 290, something like that. Um, there was, uh, I, I really liked him because I just wanted to take a shot on like, was that second half real? You know, because we don't, we don't know. Um, was it real? And then I think also just looking at playing time. So you know, it looked like he had a shot in every time, everyday job. So if he stuck with that, you know, he could be a boon. If, you know, if, if he didn't make it, then you just spent like ADP of 290 or whatever, and you move on to, to whoever gets the job instead of him, you know, 
your Derek Fishers of the world or whatnot. But um, I, but the, I think the thing that that kind of was big about him is not only we knew the quality of contact was great, we knew that the sprint speed was there, but he's never really been able to put that and translate that into actual stolen bases and getting six stolen bases in the shortened season. Even with the injuries, I mean, you know, six stolen bases, 16 homers in a third of a season, essentially, you know, that's, that's not stuff, right? That's like 48 home runs and 18 stolen bases. And, and I'll, and I'll take that from, from a guy going right there. But I think the, the lesson here is that sometimes these guys who showed us in, in, in a partial or a part of a previous season that they were capable of something, you know, that maybe that's a, a bet worth making as long as the guy has playing time or you feel like he might be able to get in there or there's some sort of skill there. So I think that might be the lesson, the lesson learned, if you will, um, as we as we like to say these days um, from Teoscar for me. But that was definitely um, a big hit. How about yeah, you? What was your what was your first one? Well, one thing I liked about Teoscar is I remember we talked about him a lot towards the end of draft season as guys we were, we were into. And I believe he was going after Gritchick or they're right next to each other. So that's a. Uh, that's one of those we kind of like both those guys, and if you got mm-hmm. Tiafra, that was big. And the last part on Tiafra I'll mention is I've, I've said it since he got traded to the Jays that I loved it because um, I'm not a professional scout by any means. I don't I'm not I don't act like I'm a, a prospects guru, but I, I'm an eye test guy. Like I've said that forever, so I'm trying to learn. I'm trying I try to turn the Statcast microwave on and learn things. So um, when I go and see Tiafra play in Fresno before he was traded he jumped off the field. Like he was very, very good. Mm. And that's like when they had other prospects or Tucker wasn't there yet, but they had some other guys that everybody wanted to see. And I was glued to T Oscar, like his arm mm. and everything. It was, it was impressive. So I'm glad to see him actually start to get going. Gives me a little kind of validation inside, even though it doesn't really matter to anybody else, but it's one of those little things to, uh, to enjoy. Um, my guy, my first guy is uh, on the same team as T Oscar. And as I just kind of hinted, I will, I will mention him and it is Bo Bichette. And this is a guy. Bo Bichette. I, Boba Shett, yes, Boba Shett. Best name in baseball. <laughs> Boba Fett, Boba Shett, whatever we want to go with here. It's uh, it's a good one. He's part of the Baby Blue Jays, which is a good thing. So our buddy Comac Dude is going to love this segment of the show. But um, I'm a big fan of what we saw. Obviously, it got shortened due to a kind of freakish injury, but he still played 29 games, played about half of a shortened season. So he got a shortened, shortened season. But uh, he still hit 301 in that process with five homers. More importantly, four stolen bases. That was mm-hmm. the question mark that we had: was could he run? Will he run? Because we didn't really see it, like you talked about when he got called up in 2019. Everything we saw in the minors didn't really see him running a lot. The hit tool was still great; all that was awesome. Wasn't running. Was he going to justify his draft pick? And you kind of either you were all in or you're all out on Bichette because uh, towards draft season he was going around pick 42, so you had to take him by the end of the third round. Like that's where he was going. So you had to have your convictions there. And for me. Did he pay off? Maybe not for the fact that he only played 29 games. Probably didn't pay off at all. He's 26th on the, the Rasball player rater. But the reason I'm glad I got him right, at least I'm saying I got him right, is I was on him from the get-go. Like I, I, When he was still like a seventh-round pick earlier in draft season before the hype train came in full force, um, that was always one of the fun conversations we'd have on the show. Is I'd be, I'd be pro-Bichette, you'd be anti-Bichette. And so um, I was very happy to see him run and do that. And if you look at his overall stat cast numbers, everything kind of lines out to be good. The hard hit rate was still very good. The walk rate dropped a little bit. That was concerning. But as a whole, the barrel rate improved. I think his kid's still going to keep improving, which is great to see. 22 years old. Like, if he keeps running, we're going to get, like, Lindor-type stuff, Trevor Story-type stuff out of Bo Bichette. And that's going to be tremendous. You know, we already got Turner and Story and Bichette. I mean, Turner, Story was soon to be Bichette and Lindor. 
like first round, maybe some in the second round this year. But now you're gonna throw Bichette into the mix. It, you're gonna have like four shortstops that are going really early, all very talented in five categories. So I'm gonna go with Bo Bichette, even though if you want to get like technical, he didn't pay off his value. But what I saw, I was right with what I saw. And I'm gonna go with that angle. So this yeah. is this isn't a technical podcast, you know. This is <laughs> this is all about no. But I mean, I think the thing about Bichette too is is I think the thing that we always forget about is it's not like it's not like your that position disappears for you, right? Yeah. Like Bichette was out, he was on the IL for about a month. And so you got 128, 28 plate appearances of, of goodness, like really good stuff. And if you replace that with a replacement level guy for the rest of the season, it's still an excellent season. You know, it's like if you just te- add 10 runs, 10 RBIs onto that, and maybe like a couple steals and a couple home runs, you know, that ends up being a really solid, especially with batting average. And we know how much that, that was bad for people. So I think, I think that definitely counts as a, um, you know, as a win. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, the, the stolen base piece was the thing for me. Like I just didn't believe that he was going to be able to do that. And he was four for five on stolen base attempts. So that's huge. And I think it works both ways. Cause it's like last year, it's like, if you want to critique my analysis, it's like, well, we know that because it's such a small sample size on stolen bases, mm-hmm it's really hard to rely on stolen base success rate. So again, so that, so maybe that means that he, he can run, but at the same time, it's like he did it this past year, but just it's a, it's a five stolen stolen base sample. So attempt sample. So we really aren't, we're we're not quite sure where he's going to land, but I still think given that, I mean, given what he's able to produce outside of that, given the context, you know, with the blue Jays, I think that, um, you know, next year is definitely looking up and I, I won't be on the anti Bichette bandwagon. I won't be on the no Bichette. No Bichette. I won't be on the no Bichette. No Bichette. I like bandwagon. that. Yeah, we could do the whole, the whole Twitter thread of Bichette's. No um, Bichette. No Bichette. The, the, the other thing, I guess, and you mentioned with the replacement value, I guess if you're ever going to get a guy injured, shortstop's the position to do it at because there's so many of them. So that, that's a positive. And the last thing I'll ask you on Bichette, and obviously when we do position previews, we'll go much deeper on this conversation. But just for fun, hypothetically right now, if I say Bichette's going to steal 15 bases next year, is that enough to make him boost? Maybe not for you, but to at least justify his value going probably by the end of round two. Um, I think so. Yeah, I mean, I feel like one of the um, one of the things about the offseason before projections come out is I feel kind of naked. You know, I feel like I'm just – kind of, you know, whatever, but I think so. So the way that I'm thinking about it is, you know, if he's a 25, 15 guy, that's, that's probably, that's probably second round material. If the batting average is what we've seen so far. And, um, and let's see, what, what, what was that? It was a 352 Babbitt. So now he's got 340 plate appearances at a 361 Babbitt. You know, so again, the the sample size to be to feel confident in that Babbitt is um, is not quite you know isn't quite there yet. But I think like if I knew going in that he was going to get twenty five fifteen, like yeah, I'd probably take him there. Okay, that's just what I was thinking because basically yeah. what I'm projecting him to in my head right now. Obviously, we like to be on projections. What I'm thinking he could be is what we wanted Javi Baez to be this last year. And I know you and I were on like totally. a two three turn with him there. Like we were all totally. There. So, um, yeah, 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 yeah. Back in the second second round, yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, he went. Um, Justin Mason grabbed him like 
Yeah, I got, 42. I got, I got the I got the ADPs up right here. Yeah. We're talking Boba Shet. Let me just do the quick F. Boba Shet. No, Bichette. He went early, Bichette. He um his average ADP is twenty three point two. Man. Yeah. So we were in League One. He went to pick eighteen in League One. So the uh, early okay. round two. The lowest he's gone so far is pick thirty five in League Five. Okay. So that's where we're at with no cool. Bichette. Cool. Cool. All right. Who's your number two? My number two is um, is Dansby Swanson. Um, my bold prediction heading into this year was that Dansby Swanson would go ten and five, and he went ten and five exactly. Um, and he was super valuable. I mean, part part of that value was something that was unforeseen, which is Albie's injury. Swanson goes and, and hits at the top of the lineup and just accumulates runs like nobody's business. Um, but you know, again, I think, I think the kind of lesson here is, you know, um, and again, you know, not a, a lesson that's applicable in every single situation, but I think we saw from Dansby last year uh, in the first half, he was a very good player. Like he made strides and then he had the injury and he came back and it was pretty clear that he came back a little too soon. I mean, the numbers were just awful. I think he hit zero home runs in his last 114 plate appearances or something like that. And so I was kind of buying in because I knew, okay, here's a guy who's got a little bit of power, a little bit of speed, going late in drafts, could be in a nice situation in the lineup. And I kind of, that's what I was, I was gambling on. And, and, and it worked out for me in this particular instance. But I think it's one of these examples, again, where every year we have to wade through injury stuff. And especially next year, we're going to have to do this, right? We're already doing it with like Christian Yelich. You know, where it's just like, we got to sift through, you know, this guy's injured this way, or that guy's injured this guy, or he doesn't have access to video. He doesn't have access to video and try to figure out, okay, which of these do we think actually had made a material difference and which is actually like their skill is getting worse or better. And so this is a particular instance where I think it seemed pretty clear that, that Swanson was injured and that's why everything kind of went downhill. And I think generally speaking, again, I haven't done enough diving into his numbers to see like, how much of this was earned, how much of this was maybe luck, whatnot. But I think overall, um, very pleased, obviously, with the way that Swanson reached out. I mean, he scored like almost 50 runs um, in the shortened season, which is just nuts. So, um, yeah, that was that was that was that was one that that worked out well for me. Yeah, no, big Swanson fan. I'm, I'm pumped on that one. I'm glad you nailed it. Um, the dude's great. I think our biggest talking point all preseason was, if he could hit up in the order. And when that happened, obviously it flourished. So that'll probably be the same talking point this next time around. Cause when Ozzy Albies first came back, he started at the bottom of the order. He started hitting a little, they moved him up. Swanson went backwards. Here we are. So it's just one of those deals. It's like, what do you do? Cause you have a Cunha. You know, they liked Brett Freeman second. Most of the time, it's just a, a tough nut to crack when you got those two guys up top and you don't want really, you know, Swanson or Albies hitting third or fourth. So you already have Ozuna there. It's difficult. I think Albies kind of settled in around fifth towards the end of the year. So it's one of those maybe can you move like Swanson to second, Freeman to third, and I don't know. There, there's a, a balancing act they got to figure out there in Atlanta. But I guess it's an embarrassment of riches what it comes down to. But, sure. uh, yeah, I'm with you there. My second guy, and this is more of a guy I'm glad I got right because I was on full fade alert. I ranked him fifth among second baseman just because second base was so weak. And I ranked him 11th among shortstops going into the season – and I wrote about how he was going to have like a massive regression season, and uh, people hated me so much for this. Like I, I hated, you. I hated <laughs> you. On Reddit, I had so many Yankees fans coming out of the woodworks to tell me how stupid I am. But Glaber Torres, 
disappointed in a big way, and I got that right. I'm gonna. I, I'm very proud of this one because I, I explained to people that it was like this hard hit, this home run to fly, like this whole. It wasn't luck. I'm not gonna say it's luck, but if you look at all the peripheral stats, like he ran hot, very hot, and it's one of those things. If you're gonna say, you know, some of these other players we talk about that hit the ball really hard but don't do anything else are gonna regress, you got to look at the whole spectrum here. And Glaber Torres is one of those guys. Um, on the rise ball player rater, if you type in second base, and it also includes you know multi-position people. Anybody with second base eligibility on 15-team Yahoo leagues on the Razzball player rater. Toby, just for fun, can you guess where he was rated? 42nd. You're actually closer than I thought you'd be. 53rd. I mean, did you expect me to do really poorly, Bubba? No, no, I didn't. But I expect expect most people would think, okay, at least like 20th or something because Glaber Torres. No, it was that bad. It was that bad of a season. Like I don't think I, I don't think everybody's acknowledged what he didn't do. I guess he hit two forty three, a one twenty five ISO for him's bad. He did walk thirteen point eight percent of the time. That's big for Glaber Torres, and he might be one of those guys. Kind of how we talked about Javi Baez that I might want to dig more into. Did he become less aggressive? And I believe I saw on MLB Tonight one of the uh, former players was either Boone or um, Ripken or one of them was breaking him down, and he kind of did lose his aggressiveness, at least on the outer part of the plate where he used to kind of poke it to the short porch and right. He just kind of started laying off those pitches, which is a big difference. So he only had three home runs all season. You drafted Glaber Torres to drop bombs. He did not do that. So this is a guy we're going to have to look at. The hard hit rate dropped. Uh, or actually, the hard hit rate is about the same, but everything else dropped. You, you look at the uh, the exit velos, the X stats, the works. Not good. So his barrel rate was 3.7%. That is, you know, Victor Robles says, can I hang out with you? Like, that's the kind of t- conversation we're having. So, yeah, best buds. Yeah, best buds there. So, it's going to be interesting, though, because Glaber's a guy that I'm going to be looking at, or Gliber, I, I always pronounce it wrong. I'm going to be intrigued, though, Toby, because I was all off of him last year. A lot of it was price dictated. But if we're looking at two early mocks right now. He's only gone in one league, and that's League 5 at pick 34. No other league has drafted him yet. Like I said, we're in round five now, Toby. So we are approaching the 50s, and Glaber is still on the board. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. eventually there's going to be a price where he's interesting. I'm still avoiding him, but second base drops off quick, and eventually it's going to be a, an interesting conversation. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, they, these are those are going to be the really interesting guys for me is the guys who are fading after, you know, whose ADPs are falling a lot and the guys whose ADP is moving up a lot. It's going to be – Really interesting to see how, how that works. Um, yeah. All right. Who's your number three? Uh, my number three was Will Myers. Yeah. Um, you, deserve Will Myers. you deserve this one. Everyone, take, everyone um, take out your pad and paper and enjoy this victory right here. Write the check to me. Just <laughs> make it out to Toby at Batfoot Crazy. When are we getting the um, T-shirts made? Uh, well, the t-shirts are made actually. Oh, okay. I need to get one. They don't have like the premium whatever, but, um, there was a really nice guy who, who on Twitter, who, when I sent out that thing about making the t-shirt actually made the t-shirt. There was another one that was just made that says thrill on it. Um, but that's, that's a little too that's close. Rude. That's rude. That, it's that's a little that's too close to Will Clark. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that was nice. I was nice. I was yeah. nice. I said, I said, it's a dope shirt. Yeah, but what I was thinking was, there's only one will to throw. Yes, thank you. Yes, very well. And he does not bat right-handed. No, and he does not play for the Padres. No, he never did. And he (laughs) has not played in like 20 years. No, he's almost he's as big as I am. (laughs) Great guy though. Um, 
No, uh, yeah, I, um, uh, so w- with Will Myers, I mean, it was just, um, for Will Myers, it was, you know, his second half last year was better than the first. And if you look at the first half of last year, it was a little bit of an anomaly just in terms of like how low the contact rate got, how high his strikeout rate got. Obviously he's an older, he's, he's not old, but he's an older guy. I think he's on the wrong side of 30. So you're never know whether they're going to, he's going to rebound or not, but with kind of the power speed combo that he possesses um, and the fact that they shipped off a bunch of, you know, they, they shipped off just a bunch of, um, of their outfielders, you know? And so it was pretty clear that he was going to get a full run of games there. Um, I just felt really good about it. And, and that was one where I kind of, I put, I put it out there. I, I owned him on every single one of my main event teams. I drafted him way ahead of ADP. I drafted him at like 175 just to make sure I got him in a few of them. So that was kind of my one guy where I was like, I'm going hard in for Will Myers. And it did work out really well. And whether it's sustainable or not, you know, I don't know. I'm sure that I probably won't have him a ton next year just because, you know, you know, it's a small sample size. And man, he's on in the playoffs though too. Like I'm like, San Diego, what does the guy have to do to back cleanup? I mean, let's be honest. Like you got, like there was like, Fam was batting in front of him. They're both right-handed hitters. I was just like, give this man more at-bats. He goes up there and he's just like, he looks like he is on it right now. But um, yeah, so that one worked out really well for me. And, um, you know, my bold prediction was that he would be a top 25 outfielder. I haven't seen the what he was on Razzball Player Raider, but um, on the ESPN Player Raider, which I don't know why I use that. It's just easy. Um, he was the number 11 outfielder, I think. And so he only got two stolen bases, so he didn't get the 12 and six that I had predicted. But he hit 15 home runs, and I'm going to give myself the W on that one, even though he didn't quite get to those. Um, but, yeah, so that was good. That was good. I'm interested to see where he goes, you know. Um, that would be kind of fascinating. So we'll see. He's, he was ninth on the Rasball Player Raider. So he, he was a beast, like an absolute beast. He earned everything. He has not gone into any drafts yet, which you'd expect, you know, as good as a season he is. That's what's that's what's really interesting to see who's drafting. You gotta give I'm gonna give a lot of props to the people drafting so far because if you we're using fan tracks and the rankings are based on how they did this year, not how we probably draft them next mm-hmm. year. So you have to actually kind of like search through. Like I, I started scrolling and scrolling to kind of get different uh guys in my queue just to keep my in case I'm on the run or something and doing something busy that uh, I at least have an idea because if you're just kind of messing around and almost you're like, Oh, next guy ups this guy. No, why is he here? So yeah, the interesting where, where he goes for sure. But uh, solid call on that 15 homers. Yes. That's definitely a kudos to you. Um, my third guy. And yes, I'm a giants fan, but I'm going to pop up here with Clayton Kershaw because mm-hmm. I know Toby, you were, uh, you, you witnessed what took place going as draft season got closer, we talked about guys that were reliable pitchers. And Kershaw, and I'm pretty sure you were still you were a fan of Kershaw also, but I moved him up a lot for the shortened season. I was like, not, this guy is a guy I want because the back problem, yes, but I'm not as concerned on this season because he's going to be ramped up. We saw the velo change too with the drive line, which uh, is big. Really big. That was really big. But what, what what I wanted with him was he was a guy that even at the back problems, maybe he throws 80 or 90 pitches, he's still giving you six innings because he's that efficient. And we saw it time and time again with him. I, I really loved – I should go back and really look at his logs. I bet you he can throw 100 pitches and maybe half his starts because that's just what Kershaw does. But he was outstanding. He went around pick 43 in NFBC drafts. 
um, in, in main events for the short season. That was the 16th pitcher off the board behind Chris Paddock, in between Paddock and Corbin. Um, like, we'll talk about Paddock. <laughs> Sorry, Charlie Mort went before him, Luis Castillo, which wasn't bad, but like a lot of guys went before him were looking back. Would have been pretty nice. He uh, was six and two. He was actually outstanding. Two one eighty RA strikeout rate, almost over a K per inning. And um, I'm not going to go too much farther on Kershaw. He'll be another guy that's going to be interesting to discuss going next year. You're older, longer season. How's that plan for Kershaw? Mm. Matt, even what you saw in the the wild card game against the Brewers. I know the Brewers have been really bad offensively this year, but he was just dealing. Like it was yeah. just awesome. When he's in that zone, he is still one of the best. So he's a guy to look at. I think he's a good SP two. Um, when you look at the player rater, he was eighth, and we look at two early box, average ADP of 29.7, so back into the round two, maybe early round three in some drafts, so maybe an SP2 or an SP1, depending on how you're doing things. It's going to be interesting because I, I, I still don't know if I'm in love with him as an SP1 next year just yet because mm-hmm. eventually that shoe is going to drop, and that's going to hurt. So it's a little conf- – like Walker Bueller is going two picks later. I'd rather gamble on Bueller than Kershaw next year. But I'll take I'll take Kershaw twenty twenty. I'm on there for that. Yeah, yeah, it's a tough one. The because the volume, you know, like a lot of times with those frontline starters, you want to get the volume, um, you know. And I think that's even more important now. I mean, I think that's one of my takeaways from the shortened season is just how important it is to get the the K volume, the strikeout volume, because chasing Ks is is brutal. Because that's really what we're doing, right? We're chasing wins and we're chasing Ks when we're streaming pitchers and if you can get some guys some lockdown starters, you know, who are, who are high volume strikeout guys to start your staff um, with really good ratios. I think that's a huge, it's a huge boon. So he's definitely really interesting. I mean, I think he's like a really good compliment to like a Garrett Cole or something like that. If you start off with Cole and then you're able to go with, with Kershaw or something like that, I think there's some nice little pairings like that um, in the first couple rounds. If you, if you, ascribe to the starting pitchers early uh, philosophy, which some people espouse. Yeah. If you're a pocket ace fan and I've heard that pocket aces is a cool thing to do. Just, I don't know where I heard it from, but I heard it's a pretty cool thing to do. I didn't do it in too early mocks and I'm already, I'm already regretting my decision to be honest with you. Now, we're we're going to transition to too early mocks now. And we're going to talk okay. about, like I got the ADP in front I knew, of me. I, I knew that. That was, that was part of my, um, that was you're the segue right there. You're a pro. <laughs> And um, I got I got our draft board also, so we can kind of look at whatever we want to here. Mm-hmm. But um, you mentioned starting pitching going early, and like I was at my nephew's first birthday party. You had to text me to tell me I was on the clock because fan tracks took till around three to start emailing me. I was on the clock. That was convenient. But um, so I, I made my first pick, and then I was like, okay, cool. You know, I'll get a pretty good pitcher still at the end of round two. No, they were like I still got good pitchers, but like they were flying off the board in round two uh, mm-hmm. in our draft. It was ridiculous. Like I think nine or ten pitchers went in round two, and so I, I went pitcher, pitcher, round two and three. So my question was for you, as Mister Pocket Aces himself, even if I took him round two or three, does that count as pocket aces? Um, you know, you can you can call it what you want it. I mean, I think that those are two <laughs> really good aces. I mean, I guess. I think I figured this out last year because it's a little bit of a cop out. If you say pocket aces, you should probably go ace ace to start off with. Because there's saying. a lot of people who get like two of the first, you know, in the first four rounds or whatever it is. Yeah. So I think I think we define pocket aces as um, probably the first two picks. But um, but I like what you did a lot. I think your start is um, 
I think it's a really pretty start that you have. Um, I appreciate right it. There. There's a few, there's a couple people in the draft who, who starts I really like. I like them more than, um, more than mine. Um, yeah, you're, you're trying something different for you. And I still think it's going to turn out. Okay. You're drafting more like yeah. I usually draft and I'm drafting a little bit more like you usually draft. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I am trying something a little bit different. I mean, you know, and obviously like you want to be, um, you want to be, uh, you want to be consistent because like the goal of this is to see where guys are going to go. Right. Um, but it's also interesting to me because I, I have some of my thoughts already and some of my thoughts are like, just like, I'm just like, Oh God, I'm up. Like I have, I'm, I have pick 49. Like I want a starting pitcher. Who the heck am I going with here? Because all of the guys that I really wanted to get are already off the board. But, um, uh, yeah, you want to be like, you want to draft intentionally. So you, so that it's, um, so that the it's, it's, there are more valid results. Right. But at the same time, like, I think this is, I just wanted to see what this would be like, because I do think hitting is so deep to start off with. And there's some guys like, Yelich before, you know, I mean, Yelich was kind of my number one hitter. Like I thought he was going to be the best hitter going into it. Just the the batting average has been so good the last couple of seasons to, to pair with the home run and stolen bases that you can get from a couple other guys up at the top. Um, so I just wanted to see what it looked like to build from there. And, and, you know, after my second pick, I was just kind of like, yeah, I kind of wish I'd gone a different direction, but oh well. Yeah. But Yelich at, at number 12, that's all you're doing this. You got to see what you can get. Cause the yeah. odds of him usually falling to 12. Like we discussed it like a week or two ago, some of these guys falling and he fell. Bellinger went 13, like Mason got him at 13. Uh, Machado jumping up to 14 was an interesting one by Mr. Ajeto himself. Uh, that was a bit of a surprise, but that's what these are for. Um, in the first round, we had three pitchers go off the board, DeGrom, Bieber, Cole in that order at pick seven or two, four, six, seven, eight, and 11. So DeGrom at seven, Bieber eight, and Cole at eleven, and like I mentioned, the second round, I was the sec. I was pick fourteen in round two because I was picked two overall. There were nine starting pitchers taken in the first thirteen picks of round two. I took the tenth starting pitcher that round. So basically, there was thirteen pitchers gone by the end of round two. Almost half of the picks were starting pitchers. Um, I don't know if it was like we see it usually in mid to late March in the main events and everything. You see starting pitching climb up. I don't know if it was kind of recency bias. Um, you know war just fatigue just from all of it everyone's like screw it we're doing this because we saw all the success you and uh and, and others had with the pocket a strategy but it'll be interesting to see where it goes but let's just have some fun for a little bit here the start of the draft because there's been a lot of debates already on twitter and there'll be many more of how you start the draft off because like trout's not running anymore so does that really make him number one everything else he does is elite but doesn't make him number one so when bets i took trey turner too i can I'll discuss that if we need to. Acuna, Tatis, Trout 5, Soto 6. So those big hitters went 1 through 6. Where do you disagree or do you are you good with all that? Because, like, for me, these early picks, you can pick and choose what you want to kind of go, but these early picks, you're getting your guys the way I look at it. Yeah, um, it's, a, it's a great question. Um, you know, for me, I mean, like, I don't disagree necessarily. I think any of those six guys could – could be the first pick. I mean, it just depends on how you want to, how you want to build your team a little bit. Um, you know, I personally like, and again, it depends on what the league is that I'm drafting in, but I'm probably, I'm still, I, I, Garrett Cole is my number one pitcher right now. I mean, I think there's definitely an argument to be made for DeGrom and Bieber uh, to be there as well. But I just think that Cole, when you combine kind of the, um, when you combine the skills with, um, injury 
and, um, and situation, you know, just playing with the Yankees in a very good offensive lineup. Um, I, I just, I, I think Cole for me is number one because, you know, DeGrom is probably the best pitcher, but again, like we're going on what three, four seasons where he just hasn't been able to get wins because the Mets are not as reliable. Um, and, and that means something, I mean, that's really important. Um, and so uh, I do think it's kind of lame, but I would probably have Cole and I, but I would take any of those three pitchers probably first. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would go Cole DeGrom, Bieber, um, just because I do think that the, that starting pitchers are more valuable than, than hitters. Uh, the really good ones are, um, but um, you know, from the hitter standpoint, I can see an argument for a lot of these guys. I think Mookie is super, um, super safe. Um, I think he's a great pick. I can definitely see that one. I think Acuna has obviously got the highest upside. Well, you know, Acuna and Tatis, you know, I got to look at the numbers, but you know, they're both like 40, 30 guys. Right. Um, I think Trout is probably the last one for me um, of this group that I go with. I think Soto, what's been most impressive to me is, is the stolen bases recently. I mean, this year he had, I think six in a shortened season for him even even shorter than the shortened season because of the, the COVID stuff earlier on in the year. The batting average was absolutely insane as well. Um, you know, Washington's take, taken a couple steps backwards, but if you're talking Juan Soto with 15 stolen bases, you know, in, in a year, that's, that's a pretty nice little thing there. And Tatis really slowed down a lot as, as the year progressed, obviously an elite talent, but you kind of saw in the profile there, you're going to have your ups, you're going to have your downs. And I think overall it's going to be really good. Um, so that's a long-winded way of just saying, I think any of those guys can go first. I think the Trey Turner pick at two is totally justifiable. Um, I think the the power that he added on um, was, was big this year. And I think that's been coming and he continued to steal and he had those 12 stolen bases after not stealing a base in the first couple weeks there, you know, when everybody was kind of freaking out who drafted him. So again, I think there's just, and that's the thing that I think is, is challenging is, is there's just so many good, really talented five category hitters at the top of drafts. Now it's, it makes it interesting. It makes it almost like, you know, you just want to be like, I'll take the sixth pick and yep. you know, whatever happens after that. But yeah. Yeah. I think I want to be like in the middle of the back, like where you are at 12 is where I think I, I, I'd much rather come and be there. I know you want to be farther up. So you get one of your big dogs, your big pitchers. You got it. So that that's where you want to be. Me, where I I don't always go for the pitcher out the gate. And as example with this draft, I can settle back. Like usually I go Acuna at number two, but I wanted to go Turner because a I've preached it for two or three years now. That I think he's a top like three or four pick. I really do because I've always thought the power was there, and it actually came to fruition this season. Like this guy, if things go well, you're talking like twenty five to thirty home runs on a full season with. 40 plus stolen bases or something. Like if things go right for Trey Turner, which is just insane to think about, um, you're still going to be hitting right in front of Juan Soto. That's not going to stink at all. Uh, so I, I really like what Trey Turner can do there. Super young, still getting better. I think Mookie, I, I'm really, I'm impressed with Michael Parnell for picking a number one because I think he deserves to be number one. I really, really do. In that Dodgers lineup with what we saw, I, I think he gets that number one pick. So you can't really go wrong. Tatis, I like him a lot, but that second half kind of drop off. I really want to look into that more and see what went on there because it could have just been a slump. And you know, if he had a full season, he bust out of it again. Very possible. But I wonder if there's more to it, and that that's what I'm curious about because 
there's a lot of stuff there, and there's still a lot of swing and miss in that bat, a lot, even this season. So I like it, but I'd rather have Acuna, Turner, Betts in front. I might even go Soto in front of Tatis. I'm a big Soto fan as well. And then the one thing I'll mention about the pitching, I'm with you on Cole, DeGrom, Bieber in that order. That's how I'm all about it. The one thing with DeGrom that I'm curious about, and not just the win situation, which hasn't been changed, is he is 32, and he'll be turning 33 in the middle of next season. I'm not saying he's going to break down because he's been healthy for the most part, pitching great. It's just one of those nowadays we have to look at it more than we used to. Like I'm, I'm not there yet, but I know Verlander was older with more concerns and whatnot, and you got other guys involved. But DeGrom's put a lot of innings on that arm. No postseason innings, obviously, but lots of innings on that arm. So we'll have to kind of keep an eye on that. I think he'll still be fine for next year, but eventually that's going to catch up as well. So that'll be another one to keep in mind because everyone thinks he's super young and he's not. Mm-hmm. So um, other than that, you know, you have Trevor Story, J-Ram, you got Yellick, Bellinger, Machado, Lindor. Anything else stand out to you in round one? Um, I don't think so. I mean, I think the interesting thing at this point, and I know we have a question about it later, is kind of like you have your top three aces, which I think are pretty solid. And then I think there's a lot of pretty similar guys after that. So it's kind of, um, it's interesting to see. I was, intri- I was curious to see who was going to go kind of four, five, six, a little bit, like what order I would, I would have them in. That's something that I'm still obviously thinking through and trying to decide. And um, I, I, that's one of the reasons why I took Yelich too, is I was just interested to kind of see how the rest of the field would also, you know, go after those aces. And and I think after I pitched yet picked Yelich, I saw that um, Michael, um, he, he like tweeted out that he was thinking about Darvish right there too, in addition to Machado. And I was like, ah, well, he's probably not going to get back to me. Cause I think Darvish at this point is my number is my SP four. Mm-hmm. Um, Giovito SP five, but I need to dive in a little bit deeper on on all of these guys and figure out what's what. Well, you got your SP five with your round two pick. It went Freeman, Darvish, Bobachet to Mister Mason, so Bellinger, Bichette, Bobichet, <laughs> and then you got Giolito, Harper, then the, the pitching run, Lance Lynn, which kind of is interesting. SP six, Aaron Nola, Trevor Bauer, who's a free agent, but then Bueller was technically the four, five, six. Eighth starting pitcher or ninth starting pitcher on the board went Bueller. Kershaw Scherzer is uh, went later than Flaherty. Mondesi went at the third to last pick in round two. Then I took Luis Castillo and then Jose Abreu, a guy that was drafted in what the seventh, eighth, ninth round in drafts, the end of round two to Mr. Parnell. So besides 10 pitchers going here, what's your thoughts on this round two, which pitching heavy? And I'm, I'll be honest, as an Abreu fan, I still was surprised to see him go right there. Yeah, I mean, I think it was really interesting. I think there's a, a lot of there's a lot of cases to be made for a lot of these different pitchers. Um, I think the ones that uh, I, it looks like I have um, looks like I have the high pick on Giolito at 19. Um, I just think you know we've now got two seasons of Giolito, um, you know, and I think what's impressive about him is. I mean, the strikeout stuff, the strikeout skills are insane. 17.3% swinging strike rate. He obviously got off to a little bit of a slow start, really rectified that um, a lot. Um, And he just has swing and miss stuff. He dominates in the zone. He is, uh, you know, I think outside of like DeGrom and Cole and maybe Bieber now, I mean, I think if you were going to ask me a a guy who's going to get 300 strikeouts next year, I'd say Giolito probably. Um, if he can stay healthy for a full season. And I still think that there's growth there. I mean, I think that there's, 
Um, the velo has not quite gotten back up to where it was at points in 2019 when he was, um, I think, at uh, you know at some of his best. I think there's also command stuff, you know, command control stuff that he can improve, the control piece there in particular. But there are things that I kind of like about him. Like he is a low BABIP guy because he gives up a lot of fly balls. Obviously, that comes with the potential for home runs, which you don't like to see with a guy who's low on controls. But I kind of pointed this out just because I think it's an interesting thing is that the ball, you know, last this past year was more 2018 than 2019. So bouncy, but not as bouncy as 2019. And I think that that helps him a little bit because it brings that home run to fly ball rate into into a reasonable um, amount, um, reasonable level. And and so I think it counteracts the control a little bit, the fact that he's not he doesn't give up a ton of hits. Um, And it was also nice to see him dominate like a pretty good A's lineup in the playoffs. And obviously that's like one start or whatnot, but he was just really good. And the skills are there. I mean, beside DeGrom, he had the highest swinging strike rate outside of DeGrom. So everything was really nice. I like that a lot. Um, uh, you know, the Lynn pick, I think, you know, has generated some questions about it. Um, uh, you know, Michael's a great player, um, a great analyst um, on Twitter, you know, and I think one of the things that, he, you know, the thing about Lynn is, number one, the, the thing that's freshest in our mind is this 10 run game he gave up. And obviously some of that regression was coming to him, but he also threw 82 innings in the shortened season you know, which is nuts. And if you talk about a guy who who might go in anticipating that he's going to lead the league in innings, you know, I don't see a reason why Lynn wouldn't be in that conversation. And there's something to be said about volume, um, you know, and what that brings, especially when the ratios are also, um, you know, pretty good. Like Lynn has been, um, you know, the, the whip, I think finished at like uh, 109 or something like that. And it, to get 82 innings in a shortened season of a 109 whip and a 332 ERA. I mean, that's very good. If you were to post those numbers, if you were to post just his his overall numbers and not get into the skills compared to a lot of these guys going in the second round, I, I can see the case for uh, for maybe him. But it was a little bit surprising that he went that early. Uh, people were back in on Nola, obviously, which I, I don't um, disagree with that. I mean, I think he was an incredible, incredible season and I kind of kicked myself a little bit because I had this tweet, you know, just randomly in the off season where I was like, you know, if you look at Nola, like he's actually second half last year was really good. Um, and also when I looked at CSW and ball and percent of pitches that are balls, which are like leading indicators for, you know, strikeout rate and walk rate, he was actually one of the best starters last year um, at CSW. I think it was CSW minus walk percentage or ball percentage or something like that. So I think there were signs that he's really good. And so I I don't have a problem with that. I'll go quicker here. I think everybody there is justifiable. Um, You know, Flaherty, I was hoping Flaherty would fall a little bit, you know, just because he did have a little bit of a rough season, but I think that playoff start fresh in people's minds, um, you know, he's, he's going to be great. I was hoping he might fall a little bit, but that doesn't appear to be happening. And then there's some injuries that are, you know, like Danielson Lamette, where does he go? If he, if we're not, wondering if he's got a longer term thing and, you know, Clevenger guys like that. So it was just, it's really interesting to see where those guys, and I think we're going to see that in each draft, it's going to be different order of those similar group of guys going. Yeah. After the big guys, it does vary quite a bit. And I pulled up, I was going to mention that on the ADP here, like, you know, it goes to Grom Bieber Cole ADP wise so far in uh, these drafts, but Trevor Bauer is the fourth pitcher off the board. 
in these drafts, and he was definitely like he was the almost mm-hmm. ten, like ninth or tenth in ours. So that shows some fluctuation. He's gone. He, he went twenty third in ours. He's gone as high as twelve in others. So he's all over the board there. Then goes Darvish, Gilito, Scherzer, who went twenty sixth in ours. Um, he's gone as high as seventeen, as low as thirty two. So that's an interesting one to keep an eye on. Then goes Nola Castillo. I got him at pick twenty nine. He's gone as high as seventeen and as low as forty one. So that's another one. Um, and then Bueller's interesting, as high as twenty four, as low as forty, or no, as high as nineteen, as low as forty one. But the guy I want to mention is you just talked about Flaherty. He went twenty seventh in ours. He's gone as low as forty seven, and he mm. hasn't been picked in three other or two other leagues. It looks like. So See, that, yeah, that, that's what I'm hoping for. It's wild. Yeah, I mean that's what that's what I was hoping for is that he would fall back, like because in a dream scenario, like if I was writing up a script, you know, you go something like Cole at nine or something like that, and then coming back around, you can pick up like a Giolito, and then coming back around again, you could get like a Flaherty, mm-hmm. and then you're just like, peace that's out, crazy. pitching. Like yeah. I'm gonna take a little breather and just line up the hitters. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see how the order kind of uh, what it falls into um, and how much the shortened season impacts it. Because I think there, yeah, the, the pitching is going to be super interesting. You know, it's already interesting in our draft. I feel like our draft, it went a lot quicker than it went in other drafts so yeah, far. Definitely. And, um, and I'm just curious to see how it, how it settles out. Um, yeah, just kind of like I didn't like look at draft boards, but it's kind of the ADP look at things. We weren't the high picks on all of these, but we took a lot more. It seems like because where certain guys were higher, there was a lot of guys that went much much lower. Like I took Glass now at thirty two. That's the high pick. He's on as low as fifty two, but he went with Woodruff Gallon. I almost took Gallon there instead. Um, there's a lot. There's like all so close to each other at a certain point. Um, I'm not sold. I wasn't on Lamette to go into the year, so that's why I passed on him. He went two picks after me. Or no, the mm-hmm. pick after me. Never mind. The pick after me. Um, so, yeah, there, there's a lot of interesting things. You're, so far, you took Granky at 49. He's the only one off the board so far. Um, yeah, which, but, but, which I, pick, I made that pick. Draft, so, who knows? Uh, yeah, and I made that pick. And, and Mark Winokur, uh, who's a great player, and NFBC, really nice guy. He was like, man, in the in – the, um, uh, the, the, I think it's called premature draft elation oh, yeah. or something like that. The draft that they do while the season is still going on. He went at like 120. Oh, that's and I, and you look at Granky, and he did exactly the same thing he's done every single year last year for the last few. Maybe with better strikeout numbers, maybe with slightly worse control, although it didn't show up in his walk rate. But he had like an ERA of four, I think, even though his his FIP and XFIP were all in line with what they normally are. So it's just a matter of his Babbitt being being elevated. And I'm like, I'm like, man, like I was I was debating between him and uh, Corbin Burns has gone in our in our draft, and you know the Giolito Burns start seemed you, very you nice strikeout wise. You actually took Granky before Burns went. Yeah, that, that, that's from the debate that I was having was oh, Burns, gotcha, Burns gotcha. or Granky. And Giolito and Granky, I think, is a nice pairing just because, you know, one's got great strikeouts, one doesn't. One has some ratio, you know, little discomfort there, at least with the whip with, with, with Giolito. Not that he hasn't been great, but he just walks a lot of guys. And so I think that's a nice compliment. And they're both on, on two really good teams, I think. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it was interesting. You know, it's just so hard to know where guys are going to go. Um, and... Yeah, 
So it's interesting. Yeah, there's nine leagues to to kind of peek at, and I'm I'm already having fun just kind of looking through these early picks. So we'll kind of hit on some more of this stuff as we uh, as the weeks go on. So this will take about another week or so before these all wrap up. We get some cumulative information going here. But one I did want to ask you about before we move on to a good amount of listener questions for this time of year. Actually, a really good amount for this time of year. Yeah, you guys are awesome. Um, yeah, you guys kick butt on that because the more you do that, it makes our life. We'd rather do those than talk about just <laughs> random stuff during the off season. Um, but I wanted to ask you about Adalberto Mondesi because it's a very popular topic. It was a popular topic in the middle of September when he was on his tear about where he'd go in drafts. Like he's going to go too high, too low, blah, blah, blah. Well, he's gone in all but one draft so far, it looks like. He's gone as high as pick 18 and as low as pick 61. So all over the spectrum. I know you're not a rabbit chaser. I'm not a rabbit chaser. I believe he can be like a 250 hitter, though. And show some power like he did. Not, not obviously as consistent, but maybe run into 10 to 12 homers and then steal like 50 to 60 bases. If he could say do the 250, 12 homers, and then whatever else he does, where would you pick Alberto Mondesi? Um, if, he, if he could do what? Hit 250 plus with 12 plus homers and then do all his steals and everything like usual. I mean, if I knew ahead of time that he was going to do that. But uh, yeah, I, if you're going to pick him, that's what you're I draft him really high. You're going to pick him. You're going to speculate. That's what he's going to do. You're not going to pick yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's a great question. I mean, I don't like, I don't like getting rabbits, but I think he's not a rabbit. You know, I agree. I completely like, agree. People call him a rabbit, but he's a very different profile than Malik Smith. Yes, he's a very different profile than all these guys. He yeah, has. Not Billy, he's not Billy Hamilton. He has, yeah, absolutely. The guy has power, like not elite power, but he's got power. And you look at any metric and it'll tell you that. Like if you look at his like, well, that's a lie actually. But if if you look at his barrel rate, if you look at like metrics that correlate with like home runs, like he's like barrels is it. And he does a pretty good job. Like, I don't know what he ended up with this year, but. In previous years, he's been around like 6%, 5 or 6%. 7.3. 7. 7.3. So he can do it. And I think that that's – and that's the key. Like, I mean, look at his line. And the thing is everybody's like, ah, his OBP sucks, so he's not going to score runs. But the problem with that philosophy is he steals so much mm-hmm. that, like, when he gets on first base, he gets on second base. Mm-hmm. And he gets on third base. You know what I'm saying? So it's like – so how many more runs is he generating because of his stolen baseness? And so I think in OBP leagues, it's a different story, right? But in a batting average league, you know, I wouldn't mind, I wouldn't mind going after Mondesi to be honest with you, because the thing is, the thing about him is, is he get, if he gives you like half a season of what he was doing this year, if he gives you 350 plate appearances at his pace right here. So let's say 10 home runs and 35 stolen bases, and then he's injured the rest of the year, you can work with that. Like you can work with that. You take a, you take a, um, you take a, a, a replacement level guy on top of those stats and it's brilliant. I mean, it's incredible. And yes, you know, I think the thing is he's got the profile that all these other guys have that Luis Ro- Ro- uh, Robert or Robert have, right. The, the, that, Javi Baez has that everybody has they're free swingers they hack and they're streaky as all hell and so they look really really bad a lot of the times and they look really really good some of the times and their true talent level is somewhere in the middle 
And I think the problem with him too, is that we focus so much on like him as an actual baseball player, you know, like versus what he does fantasy wise. Yeah. He's going to have a terrible Woba, you know, he's, you know, his WRC plus isn't going to be great, but you know, when it's all said and done, I mean, holy crap. I mean, you know, there's, there's, there's the potential. Like you talk about outcomes. He's a sick, he he could steal 60 bases in a season. He's never done it before, but it's there, right? It's there. Well, let's just talk like real quick. Um, His last 24 games, he went on his tear. Basically the month of September, he hit 356 with six homers, 22 runs scored, 20 RBIs, 16 stolen bases. Did strike out 28% of the time. So that didn't change. He had a 464 BABIP, which is not great, but that's what he does. And is he going to do that all year? No, like I'm not foolish. But at that same time, you're talking barrel rates. He only barreled the ball nearly 11% of the time with a hard hit rate over 48%. Like he was mm-hmm. doing things that shows like you're talking about, like what I would compare him to, and I know they're not like this close together, but he's basically a poor man's Trey Turner for me. Yeah. Like I think Trey Turner is obviously much better. That's why I took him number two. I would take out Alberto Mondesi number two. But if he slides to – if he's around in round three for me, I am very curious. Yeah, Maybe back into round two just because of what he does for your team. And I'm glad we had this conversation. I'm glad we're kind of on the same page here because then it won't make this offseason as long. But because um, I'm with you, I see all the slander on him and whatever, teach their own. But he's not as bad as I think people make him out to be. He's still also – one thing as I'll, I'll mention with him is he is only 25 years old. So there's still a lot of positive development potentially coming from him, maybe more power coming from him. So I think there's a lot to like with Alberto, And I have a hunch we're going to have a lot more questions on him as the uh, season goes on or the offseason goes on. So, and, and one thing, too, is he's got 1,200 plate appearances now as a big leaguer, and his batting average is 251, mm-hmm. 32 home runs, 113 stolen bases. Yep. So just really divide true. that by two and you get your 600 plate appearance season, which he has not been able to produce, which I think is something that's important to note. But, you know, you're looking at 250 batting average, 15 home runs a year and 55 stolen bases. Yep. Like, that's incredible. Yep. I mean, that is it's it's Game incredible training. production. And, and again, it's a super risky play to make because it also sets up these roster construction dynamics where you're like, I don't like one of the reasons why, well, I don't like the rabbits because they don't hit home runs. They don't get that many runs. They don't get RBI and they don't normally have high batting averages. So I don't like them for that reason. But also one thing too is like, and I set myself up this with like Victor Robles this year where Victor Robles doesn't either gets injured or he doesn't steal as much as you expect. And then you find yourself chasing stolen bases. Mm-hmm. You know, and so the question is, is like, do you, are you, you know, do you cut back on the stolen bases, you know, mm-hmm. from that point forward, right? Or do you just try to get a crap ton of them, which is a, a, a potential strategy, right? And then just not have them in your lineup towards the end of the season if everything works out, you know, but it's also hard because, you know, yes, you are taking a little bit of a hit in home runs. Yes, you are taking a little bit of a hit in RBI, you know, and so, and so it's like, you've got to, it, it sets up some interesting, I think, roster construction dynamics, which aren't impossible to get around, but are certainly something that you need to be thinking about if you're going to pick him. Yeah, it's definitely something we'll keep uh, discussing as it goes on. You know, get those balanced guys we like to talk about, get you five or ten steals um, as well. Just keep stacking them up just in case something happens. That could go a long ways. But uh, let's 
get some of these listener questions. We got a lot of good ones. We'll get to most of them. We should get to all of them. But uh, our buddy Comac do he's back. Cody Mack, he has a good question. Just like a simple question. Like what advice, because this is going to be a weird off season where you're going to hear so many different opinions because short season doesn't count, all these different things. What advice would you give to someone entering fantasy baseball next season for the very first time? If somebody were going into fantasy baseball for the very first time next year, um, I think what I would say is I would say familiarize yourself with Fangraphs. I think Fangraphs is still the most valuable site there is when it comes to, um, you know, just kind of um, just everything. Uh, You know, familiarize yourself with Baseball Savant. I think those are the two most important websites to be familiar with and just understanding kind of what some of the basic uh, metrics mean. So I think that would be really important. I'd say simplify. So don't get caught up in chasing all of these different metrics that are coming out. Kind of find the, the, the core ones that are, are important. Follow those. Um, follow, find twi- people on Twitter, um, mostly Twitter, that you, that you follow and, and whose advice you trust. Um, and then um, understand how your particular settings um, impact player value. I think that that's a, that's a under, under focused on aspect is thinking about how the settings, both league size and um, categories and, you know, um, things like that, like, like just structure of your league um, works. And then, um, you know, and don't set too high of expect expectations for yourself that first year, right? Like, of course you want to win, but, you know, use that first year to learn and, and feel, you know, feel things out, feel what works for you. And then so that hopefully you can go into that second year prepared to, to demolish. And then I'd say, listen to the Bubba and, and the Batflip podcast because. Yep. You, your last two points are my two points. Say. I was going to mention. Yeah. 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 I was going to say, uh, make sure you listen to the Bubba and the Batflip. That's uh, your go-to to help you get through that season one. And uh, I'd say, don't go crazy your first year. That's the biggest thing is play in a few leagues, play in some leagues that look fun to you settings wise or, things along that line. Don't go crazy because it's going to be quite the learning experience. It's not fantasy football. So mm-hmm. that'd be my biggest thing. It's not that kind of deal. Maybe try a head to head and a Roto league to see what you like better because I prefer Roto. Um, a lot of people still like head to head and a lot of people that come from fantasy football prefer head to head. Cause that's what they're used to. So try a little of both, but uh, have fun. That's the most important part. Find what's fun for you and go that direction. Because sure. In the end, that's what it's all about. Uh, Steve Brunn, at Steve underscore Brunn on the Twitter. He asks, where does Tim Anderson's ADP end up on March providing good health and, of course, spring? Because now we've seen it two years in a row, Toby. Like, the batting average, regardless of what Babbitt people want to talk about or anything else, he's legit. The dude rakes, absolutely rakes. Watching him in the postseason against top-end pitching, he rakes. It is, uh, it's a spectacle. And he's still young, very talented. Uh, he went around pick 36 in our our draft so far. He was the sixth shortstop off the board. When you look at the Smata's ADP right now, as high as 36, as low as 58. So I'd imagine end of round three-ish is the latest you'll be getting him in March, probably early round three. What say you? Yeah, I think I think third round at some point is where he'll probably settle in. Um, uh, I think I set the min pick on him last year, this year in the main event. I picked him at pick 50. Um I mean, what is there to say about the guy? I mean, he's super awesome. good. 
Yep. He's in a really good lineup. And, 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 and potentially getting better. I mean, just as yep. a hitter, like he seems like he has a real uh, thirst to get better as a hitter. And, um, you know, he doesn't have an ideal profile, obviously, for OBP, but even OBP is not hurting you because his batting average is so mm-hmm. high, right? And, and you know, we argue about, like, whether it's sustainable or not, but he's always been a high, high, high Babbitt guy, and he's not going to get, like, a 400 Babbitt, but he's going to be one of the league leaders in it probably uh, on in any given year. So I think he's an excellent way. I mean, you know, I, I've joked around about this three starters to start off with thing. And, you know, I'm just going to get more and more extreme as we go, but I wouldn't mind starting a team with, um, with Tim Anderson, you know, it would not suck at all. That'd be a very good way to go. So no problem targeting him in round three. It's weird because like we talk about how deep shortstop is, and it is, there's no hiding that. It's just weird though. It felt like in certain drafts, if you waited because you trusted how deep it was, Passing on those upper end guys that stole bases the way they did, it hurts you still. So it was mm-hmm. a very interesting dynamic looking back on, you know, if you waited and did this or that. Like if you waited for a Paul DeYoung, who's still a good shortstop, and he ended up hitting towards the end of the year, or you waited on certain other guys back there, it maybe didn't pan out the way you wanted to because of other it, it obviously there's a lot of risk reward and other things that took place, but getting those elite shortstops, there's a reason they're still going early. That's what I'm trying to get at. Mm-hmm. Um, Matt Tantillo asks at Tanto Matt. Do you think there's a clear second tier of set, uh, starting pitchers or is it a bit globby after the fourth pick? I think we kind of already hit on this. Like Darvish at number four, we both kind of agree on that should be the staple. But then again, I already said ADP got has Bauer there. So after the top three, those guys are locked in. It's a bit globby after that, uh, at least what we've seen so far. I think it's going to stay that way. What about you? Yeah, for me, I think it's um, – I think – I think there's a second tier that starts with Darvish and for me goes until Flaherty is kind of tier two. And then after that, it's kind of Maeda, Lynn. Um, I don't know. I might have Woodruff in there. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty big. I don't necessarily think that, that each one, each person has like an argument necessarily to be at the top of that. You know, like when I break it down, so like when I look at like like Woodruff and Gallon is a good example. Like I don't I have a hard time seeing why Gallon goes ahead of Woodruff. Like I looked at that. That was one of the things that I was looking at. And I have a trouble seeing seeing that, you know, um, or seeing how some of those guys going in front of like, you know, a Darvish or a Giolito or or somebody like that. But but I think there's um you know, and I need to dive into it more. I'm sure I, I don't really make tiers, but I'll have a sense of like which guys in this area of the draft I I want to prioritize. But um, yeah, so I think it's I think I think it is and I think it is a large tier, but I don't necessarily think that it's like uh, everybody's equal within that tier. You know, I think there's definitely it's definitely like a, a graded tier or something like that. I don't know if that's a thing. Uh, Dave Swan at Davithius asks. Um, Starting pitchers pitch considerably less innings than usual. Do you think it'll impact them in 2021? Um, I have my thoughts. What say you? Um, I think uh, Jeff Zimmerman had a tweet about this. I want to say like earlier this week, just about how teams are probably ahead of where we as fans are in, in terms of thinking about this. And so they probably did things, you know, while everything was shut down to make sure that they were at least as much as possible kind of imitating that. So 
I generally would, would, would feel the pretty similar way in the sense that like the guys who have gone, you know, are 180 to 200 innings on a consistent basis. I pretty feel pretty good that they can go back to that level. I mean, some of the questions are like a guy like Corbin Burns is a good example where he's never really gone beyond 80 at the major league level. He got to 60 this year. Like, do you bank on him for, you know, 150, 120, 180 next year? I, I, I don't know, but I think we'll learn that stuff before at least the meaty drafts happen. I think we'll get a better sense of how pitchers were handled in the offseason. Yeah, I think the big thing, like you said, with Burns, guys like that, the younger players, those might be more of a concern. Guys, we've seen it done before. A, they're probably, like you said, doing things in the offseason. Maybe they, maybe some of these teams have these guys pitching right now for like until November. Like, hey, come out and throw bullpens for like the next month or something like that. Just, just, just to stretch it out, then go rest for a few months and we'll come back to spring. Like something along those lines. I think they're not too worried about it because guys that have done it before for a year or two, one down year or it wasn't injury related, wouldn't concern me as much. I, I think if anything, it might benefit them to take a year of just kind of chilling and not going crazy with it. So I'm not going to factor in too much just yet. Maybe we, you know, come spring, we start hearing some talk from guys saying this, that, or the other. Then we can kind of, you know, put our ear to the ground and listen a little more. But uh, for now, I'm going to kind of keep it business as usual. Like I said earlier with Kershaw, guys like that, those older guys with some injury concerns, that might be different where I'm not as aggressive on them. And guys like Walker Bueller, who we know starts slow but can finish strong, he's more intriguing to me because I'm I'm still confident in 160-plus from him. And in the grand scheme of things, I talked about with Strasburg before COVID hit in like the February previews, that we need to start accepting 150 really good innings is not a bad thing anymore because there's not that many guys that go super deep like we, we used to. So – even if these guys are going 150, 160, that's kind of the league standard. That's still pretty good. So something to uh, to kind of keep in mind and a long ways to go in figuring all that out. Mike Carter asks us, what was your most successful strategy this year? And we use that again. I have a hunch I know what yours was, Toby. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, I think the – I think um, – I guess, I don't know. I mean, I think there's a th- couple ways. I guess the, the most helpful way that I can answer this question is, is having a strategy, like having not just, it's not just, um, so I think what happens is I, I do the pocket aces things and people know about that. And so people focus on that, which is fine because I think that's, that's key, a key part of my strategy, but it's not the strategy alone. And so I think part of it is just understanding that like you can't have everything. And so what are you willing to, what is less important to you to have coming out of the draft, right? And for me, one of those things was closers, like fading closers. I think um, the last couple of seasons I've been able to avoid, I think, a lot of um, landmines by um, by fading closers um, and using that, the opportunity to fade closers to either add starting pitching or um, to build depth and hitting. Um, in, a, in a part of the draft, I think, where there's oftentimes some, some decent values um, from a hitting perspective. So I would just say like that, that going into the season, I had a, a pretty set strategy and I stuck with it um, and it ended up working out well for me. Um, but I just think thinking through and not just like don't just latch on to one piece of that. Right. You can't just do I'm going to do pocket aces, but not think about how does that how does that impact what you have to do later on in the draft or like you know things like that. So. I think just generally the strategy worked out pretty well for me. 
but um, there's there's multiple layers of that. So don't try to oversimplify it either, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Um, mine might sound kind of simple, but uh, it takes for me, it takes discipline to do in a draft is especially early. I want those five category guys like I as much as I love J.D. Martinez, that's rough. Like in, in the two early mocks, I took Nelson Cruz at the end of round four, round five. I'll st- like that's okay with me. It's not ideal, but when you get a guy like Trey Turner, that changes things a bit because he's like an extreme five category guy. Um, if you're getting kind of a basic five category of like 15, 20 steals, I might not go Nelson Cruz. That's kind of the, the yin and the yang of the situation there. But the idea is to just keep disciplined on constantly making sure you're kind of adding, not taking a bunch of holes. Like I guess you should say, don't take a bunch of cruises where you have no steals. Don't take a bunch of, batting average guys kind of make sure you're balancing things out throughout the season so as long as you have a good floor if guys overperform things are looking pretty good and that's just a kind of discipline thing don't shoot the moon type stuff um that's one thing and then it came in play this year and i I was very focused on doing it this past year might not be as important next year i think i'm still going to stick with it because of the uh, flexibility it gives you i really want to focus on multi-position guys like i'm not hardcore on it but i want to make sure i have a good amount, like four of them or so, three, four, give or take, on a roster, even if it's just something like second base shortstop or second base third base, because that opens up corner infield and middle infield. That opens up so many things real quick when things get uh, difficult. And um, I like that flexibility because even when you're doing fab, you can do different things. You're not having to focus on one thing per se all the time. So that uh, definitely changes things. So multi-position guys, and that's going to be interesting to see how that was handled by different uh, formats this year. And then just making sure to keep your roster balanced. That was a big thing for me. So mm-hmm. I love that multi position eligibility one. That's good. Yeah, Quick that question. Was yeah. Oh, go ahead. I was say, that was clutch, like in TGFBI, where I finished third in my sure. league. Overall, wasn't great. But like I said, I was out of fab for at least three, if not four weeks, half the season because of trying to get guys to cover injuries. Thanks to multi position guys, I was at least able to roster a lineup every week. So yeah. <laughs> that was huge. But yeah, you were for saying. Sure. Oh, I was just going to ask you, is J.D. Martinez a one-category guy now, or is he – how many categories oh, is he man. guy now? That's going to be a fun deep dive this winter. That's going to be a fun deep dive. He probably hasn't been drafted. Has he been drafted at all? In oh, any yeah. I think in one league. Like I was just looking at it a second ago. Let me scroll down. to Yeah, he was picked 64th overall in League okay. 7. No one else has drafted him yet. That's fascinating, yeah. The guy that was like a mid-second-round pick last year for very good reasons at the time – now he's yeah. going to pick 64 or later, so after round five. Mm. It's so interesting. Which makes him another guy that you got to maybe start thinking about at that point. <laughs> like, it's just like, now does he drop his round seven or eight? No, nah, he might jump on the radar all of a sudden. So, mm. yeah, we wanted to finally uh, get a good look at. Uh, another question here from Big-Friendly-Giant. Based on 2020 performances, which position do you expect to become deeper or shallower going into 2021 that it was going into – so which position do you think will be shallower? Which position do you think will be deeper than it was in 2020? Well, I was I, I was looking. I think there's an argument to be made that first base is more shallow. Exactly. Second base is more shallow. Third base is more shallow. Shortstop is deeper. Outfield's probably deeper too. Um, catcher, I think, is shallower too, um, which is which is – doesn't seem possible. But it's fascinating to me, mm-hmm. um, you know, because I was just looking at it and I was like, I can't really think of guys who have moved up that much, but I know guys who have fallen uh, in these um, 
So yeah, it's, it's interesting. I don't know. What about you? Yeah, I'm with you. Like I was thinking the middle infield positions, I think are super deep, even like second base isn't that deep, but if you, there's so many guys that have gained multi-position eligibility, just kind of looking through things, it deepens it a bit. Like it's not maybe the best deep like shortstop is where, you know, it's not the end of the world. Like I was already saying you want the top guys, but it's not the end of the world. If you don't get the top guys, Mm -hmm. if you don't get a top first baseman, it gets ugly. Like if you got lucky and got Luke Voigt or Christian Walker this year, you're happy. But if you went and got CJ Crone, and he got hurt. Like there's all that just dropped off so quick at certain spots. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're stuck with Daniel Murphy. I know I happened to me in a league or two. It was just like, wow, you Daniel thought things Daniel were good. Murphy. Yeah, that, that's oh, another guy that I will not touch ever again. But um, like shortstop, yes. Outfield's getting deeper and deeper. Second base I can live with, but ideally it's very top heavy. Yeah, third base, first base, but first base is the one that, that crossed my mind initially. That one yeah. got really bad. Like Matt Olson can't hit 200. And that's another one I'm like, what happened there? Pete Alonso's who I thought he was. Like, Good power, a lot of other holes in that game. Uh, you got Abreu, you got Freeman, Bellinger's there, but he kind of took a step back this year a little bit. Um, it's it's an interesting position, a very interesting position to to take a look at. So I'm with you on that one. Obviously, shortstop takes the cake though, so that's going to just keep getting deeper. It seems like because almost all the prospects seem to be in the middle infield at shortstop or something. So um, our buddy Dev Petrizello asks: Second base is gross. He loves Al- Albies. He thinks Cattell bounces back, but after that, he doesn't know. Do you try to get a top guy or wait till later? He says he likes Biggio, but he has to be in the top 90, and Biggio's going to go pretty early. And I, I'm a, I'm with him on Biggio. I think you like Biggio as well. But, um, yeah, we were just kind of hitting on it. Biggio's only gone on one draft. He went to pick 49. He hasn't been taken anywhere else, so he's going to drop into mm-hmm. the fifth and sixth rounds in most drafts, which becomes interesting. But uh, what's your thoughts? Do you get aggressive at saying like a Whit Merrifield, an Albies, uh, a Cattell, do you buy back into Hira? There's Altuve. Like, there's a lot of question marks. It's like everybody's saying it makes it shallow. Yeah. Now. So, what do you do there? Yeah, I am. Um, I think for me, I am not necessarily prioritizing it that much. Like, it's not a position where I see it and I'm like, I got to grab a good guy necessarily. Like, I love Albies. I think he's going to be fantastic next year. But according to his early, too early mock, everybody thinks he's going to be fantastic next year. He's, his ADP is like 27. It's higher this year than it was last year. So that's probably not going to happen at all. But I do think that there's some interesting guys. I mean, uh, Dave mentioned um, uh, Biggio, who I think is definitely really interesting. You know, I think there's still the average concerns, but I think we feel a little bit more confident maybe that what we saw in his first year was something that he might be able to replicate on a fairly consistent basis, recognizing that there is there is a floor there with the batting average. Um, but I mean, the thing is, there's guys like LeMahieu, who's a second baseman, you know, multi-eligible guys like Whit Merrifield had a tremendous season. Um, he's a second base guy, although is he going to have second base for this year? He should, I hope. Should if, he he if he doesn't, that changes his season too. That would be awful. Let's yeah. check this. This is this is really important stuff that we're doing right now on this podcast here. Why, second why base, he got 15 games. He got 15 oh, games at second base this year. Yeah, he's only got one at first base, man. That would have been interesting. That would be put him right? Talk about, oh, about multi-position eligibility. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Um, but um, but I also think that there's guys that are going to be values next year. So, like, a good example of a guy is um, Max Muncy. Um, you know, like, everybody loved Max Muncy heading into this year. He's been really good for a long time. I think he had the lowest BABIP or the second lowest BABIP in all of baseball. Um, this year. And so he's a guy who I think will fall just because of the profile um, and because of the bad luck, who I think 
I'd be fine scooping up later on as kind of like a guy to, you know, if he goes like 120 to 150 or something like that, um, uh, to kind of scoop up p- the power and, and the runs and, and, and everything there, because I don't think he's necessarily fallen back as a hitter per se. You know, there's like Tommy Edmond, who, again, like never really got going. It didn't seem like this year, but I think he's still an all around solid profile. Um, you know, and then there's going to be guys like, you know, Tommy Listella who moves back up a little bit. Gavin Lux is going to be really interesting next year. Um, you know, Chris Taylor, like he was playing every day this year. So I think, I think it's, um, it's kind of like what you mentioned. Yeah. There it may be not as star studded as it's been in the past, or maybe some of the stars had off seasons this year, like Altuve, but I do think it goes decently deep. And I think there's actually some really interesting profiles within that. So I'm not as concerned about that position maybe as, as some other ones. Yeah, like guys, uh, Altuve has not gone in the two early mocks yet. Um, Ketel Marte has not gone in the two early mocks yet, which is very interesting. Uh, but Brandon Lau has. He's gone at 55, 57, and 61. He's gone in three leagues. So that, like, I like Lau and all, but I think I'd rather take the Ketel Martes of the world and some of these other guys. Before. That's interesting as well. So I mean, Marte's profile is just so stable. Like, the contact, yeah. contact is insanely good. Um, so, but yeah. yeah, but I'm gonna. I, I well, he's one of those guys that's kind of want to knock this year up to a grain of salt type situation. Because like, I'd rather I, if he's gonna drop into the sixth or seventh round, like I'm gonna take that chance way more often than not. That's gonna be- yeah, and that that I think is the thing that it's so important to remember too is like, is the the guys who who have breakout seasons like Marte had, maybe they're that's not their their true their, talent level, yeah. right? That might be their like, ceiling. Or Clark, yeah, like exactly, right. Like eighty-fifth percentile or something. Exactly, and so it's like, don't go into a season expecting them to maybe repeat that. Like, there's going to be some regression that probably comes. Just like for this past season, recognize that, like, you know, that's why projections are so valuable because they give us a sense of what the true talent level is um, of players. You know, taking out all of these emotional reactions and biases that we have. Um, you know, which is why I'm so excited for when they come out after Thanksgiving. I'm looking forward to Steamer. Like, Kittel's a good one because, yeah, the power and speed wasn't great. Two, two homers, one stolen base in 45 games. That wasn't what you wanted. But still, he only struck out 10.8% of the time, best of his career. He only walked 3.6%, which is the lowest of his career since 2016. But he hit 287. Last year, he hit 329 with 10 steals, 32 homers. Like, obviously, that's his peak. He had 14 homers prior to that as, as his peak. Um, but it, but say you get a you know twenty two to twenty five homer guy that steals you close to ten bags and hits you around three hundred in round seven, yeah, I will take that at second base at a position like second base. Yes, I will take that one for sure. So just kind of a factor, like you said, the projections, even if it's three year averages, will give you an idea of what's going on. Stuff along those lines. Um, Joseph Morrow asks: So many young pitchers. What is the baseline? So we kind of hit on this earlier, but what is the baseline for innings you guys are acceptable with? Innings limits after this short season is another issue I'd like y'all's thoughts on. We kind of talked about the innings limits already. We're kind of playing that as should be business as usual unless we hear something different or unless they're the young guys. So real quick, did you want to mention your young guys' thoughts again? Um, Yeah, I mean, I just think like I think maybe a valuable exercise to do is to think like what do you think is the absolute lowest number of innings pitch that they'll give a guy, you know? So with Burns, it would probably be like, you know, 80 because he's got he's gotten there before or something like that, right? Yeah, and then you're like, Burns, it's like 120 is the peak or 125 maybe. Yeah, and, and then do the peak and then choose the middle, right? And yeah, just be like, exactly. oh, okay, so maybe like 
if I was drafting Burns, I'd, I'd think that he was going to get like 100 or 120 innings or something like that, you know, because I feel like they could go up to 150 with him. Maybe look at Brandon Woodruff and, and see kind of how they handled him and, True. and what it might look like. Um, and so, you know, I just think like with each guy, you want to do that exercise. It's just like Lizardo this year. It's like Lizardo, it's like, okay, there's a range of innings pitch that he's probably going to get. Choose the middle and figure out what you think he's going to do at that point. Don't, that I think is where people get into a lot of trouble is when they do their own projections or when they go into things and they project people just to have like they over project, you know, and just make sure you don't over project because emotionally you, you, um, and I don't say that like pejoratively, but like, like, like your biases, like you like this guy, you have skills and you really want him to be good. And so for that reason, you, you bump up his projection a little bit. That's not what you want to do. Like be conservative you know, um, have a process for figuring out what you think that likely range is. And then, okay, what does his value look like there? And don't draft him at a place where he needs to hit, you know, uh, the top end of what you think that range is that he's likely to see. Yeah, no, definitely. hundred percent agree with you there. Last question for the night. Again, great questions. Everybody keep them coming going forward. Um, at S M M S 79 frequent listener of the show, he asks, there are only a handful of guys locked into closer roles entering next year. Does this make you want one of those sure options earlier, or or are you more inclined to throw much cheaper darts late? It seems to me like the last few seasons, even mediocre closers are top 120 picks. And you've kind of hinted on this a bit, and I know we'll get deep into this eventually, but you're more of a kind of maybe get one, but just wait for the most part, right? Yeah. Yeah, Um yeah, I, I think, you know, like what I generally do when I'm going into a draft is I want to be drafting from that kind of second and third level of closer, I guess you would say. Um, just as an example this year, like I had a lot of Alex Colomay. I had a lot of um, Mark Melanson. I had a lot of Brandon Kinsler. Um, and so these are guys who have been good pitchers. Their skills aren't maybe that elite. Um, but they have, they seem to have a pretty clear, um, you know, they're, they're lined up pretty clearly for the role. Um, and, and you think that they maybe have like a little bit of wiggle room. So I'll get like, hopefully two of those guys heading into a given year. And then I'll speculate on like some higher skilled guys who may find themselves or on committees and things like that. I think what's going to be really challenging. I've thought a lot about this because, you know, we're probably a month away from draft champions leagues starting to draft and stuff like that is is how to how to approach leagues like that where right now we're kind of like i mean god like we could go through but there's probably like 10 anointed closers who aren't free agents and trying to figure out out um how to tackle that a little bit and i think part of me just wants to not punt saves but um you know um get some some high high leverage high skill speculative guys um and not and maybe be a little bit more comfortable going after a lower number of saves or feeling like I have a lower number of saves secured and maybe going, adding another starter there instead. Um, but I think it's a really interesting question, but I'll, I'll, I'll never really pay up for those closers. Like I had Liam Hendricks in one league this year, which happened to be a, an online championship. So in the shallower league, I might be more willing to do that. Um, but um not really. Yeah. I don't really want to pay for saves. And, and you mentioned draft champions. Like that's one for sure. Like don't pay up, go get a bunch of speculative guys late. There's no reason to pay up for that. So the best ball format or whatever you got going on. So 
I'm with you there. Like I always want to say I'm not going to pay up, and then I like I, a Hendrix gets my attention. I don't go all in. Let's put it that way. Like I might get one, and then I'll take. I, I had a ton of Colomay this year. Um, I'll take my chances back there, and I prefer not to play the Fab game, but that's just the way it goes these days when it comes to saves. You can always find them. It's very true. It could be very expensive, but you can always find them. So always keep that in mind. You, but uh, yeah. you you can, and I also think that it's. I think it's a little over over uh over dramatized i don't know but like i think early in the season there's a lot of competition for saves people pay up a ton of fab but as the season progresses and things get a little bit more muddled and and it's pretty clear like that teams have different needs i think it does become easier to pick up um closers um and to speculate especially when you have a full 26 weeks or whatever it is of fab to do that. Like, don't get me wrong. It's not like you go into the season without a closer, but I do think that um, getting a closer on the waiver wire is um, as long as you're not, as long as you're not in that, as long as you're patient about it. um, I don't think it's as challenging maybe. And I also think that the the number of saves you now need to compete is going to be a lot lower, you know, um, and I think that's just the way that the game is going. And so, you know, um, I, you know, everybody's got kind of their price and their value. And, um, yeah, I just think that there's other, there's ways to get saves. And, um, yeah, I mean, we found it this year, right? I mean, like I, I remember I had a league where, um, I had, I think I had six saves halfway through the whole season and I was in desperate need of saves. And by the end of the season, I had like five closures I could have gone to. Right. Um, you know, and, and, um, you know, like Daniel Bard showed up out of nowhere and, you know, um, just like there's a, there's a, a few guys that just kind of came out and, and I think that happens every year and you just have to be patient and you just gotta, you gotta churn through some of these guys and, um, and you just got to be dedicated to it. If that's the way your league falls, where you're really short on saves, like there's normally a few guys who are like that in a given league, but you know, not everybody's as desperate for saves anymore at, at, at a given point. So I don't know. I think that's a, maybe a little bit um, over focused on the, um, yeah. Yeah. The ability to, get, to get saves off on waiver Anyways. Yeah, and it does happen every, like you said, I remember Liam Hendricks two years ago helped me quite a bit in certain mm-hmm. leagues. So always guys showing up, and we'll be talking about them throughout the offseason. But that'll wrap us up for Bubba and the Bat 52. Again, great questions. Keep those coming. We'll talk some more too early mock takeaways next week as I would imagine we might have some wrapped up or at least pretty darn close to being wrapped up by the end of the next oh, week. Everyone, everyone's pretty jazzed right now. They're, they're on their toes for the most part to get those done and uh, we'll keep the content coming your way and get you ready before you know we'll have position previews coming up so um it'll be right around the corner but toby always a pleasure my friend and we'll do this again next week sounds good thanks a lot bubba all right everybody this is bubba and the bat flip episode 52 catch you guys next time